Today's episode of Hoops Adjacent is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to hoopsadjacent.robinhood.com. That's hoopsadjacent, one word, H-O-O-P-S-A-D-J-A-C-E-N-T dot Robinhood dot com. All investments involve risk. This is not an investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield on uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. Welcome to another edition of Hoops Adjacent. I'm David Aldrich. Happy New Year, everybody. We hope you are enjoying this on Apple Podcasts. If you are, leave us a review, five stars being preferable. If you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Joined, as always, by my man, Waz Lambray. Waz, happy New Year, boy. Hey, what's going on, David? Happy New Year to you, man. Man, I, um, now, uh, we didn't get to, I, we, I don't know if we're going to get to the style rankings this week, but you you mentioned in the intro that you that you did some some family stuff and you did some travel. Tell us about it real quick. Well, yeah, I was um <laughs> I went to New York for uh for the for the Christmas holiday. I was there for Christmas, was there for New Year's, did a bunch of the tourism stuff, you know, saw the tree cuz my lady went with me and yep. she's not a native New Yorker, so it's like, you know, it's one of those things with people they watch so many movies, they want to do the the holiday in New York even though it's a complete nightmare. <laughs> um at one point, we had to buy a fire truck for her nephews, a, a FDNY branded one. So we walked through Times Square and it happened to be raining. And it was just like I was getting stabbed in the head by umbrella after umbrella after umbrella. It was it was tough. Man. It was tough. But, you know, it's always good to see to get back to New York and see family and and all of those things. And I actually got to spend New Year's out in New York. So it was dope. Man, that's great. To, that's great to your family is always important. Do you do resolutions? Because I'm I have one that I'm going to do, but I want to hear if you do any. Um, I find that ever since I've um become 30 years old, my resolution is always the same: is to lose weight. Of course, it's everybody's <laughs> resolution. <laughs> and that's it. That's everybody's like, resolution. All right, I gotta start eating better. Um, I, I you know make sure don't slack at the gym, don't slack on cardio and stuff like that. So that's basically been my resolution. Just be a little bit healthier and not be so fat. Yeah, well, here's, I mean, my, uh, I've been, you know, my resolution's always been to lose 20 pounds. Uh, that, that's still out on the table. So, <laughs> but uh, I, here's, mine this year is very simple. Within a, with this election coming up, this is going to be just nasty and terrible yep. and polarizing. And I'm going to do everything in my power not to get caught up in this bullshit on Twitter and on Facebook with people trying to game the system, people trying to, to make you think a certain way, manipulate you, make you angry to the point where you vote for their guy or you don't vote at all. I'm, I'm going to try my best to ignore it 
and, and stay away from it because you can get go, go down that rabbit hole so fast and all of a sudden six hours are gone by and you're just furious with everybody. You're yelling at your kids, you know, <laughs> you're angry with your wife for no reason. You can't even, you can't even explain why, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to try. You know, yeah, go ahead. You know what's so crazy, Dave, is that 2016, that campaign was so, so <laughs> the campaign on the Democratic side, which is going to shock our listeners to learn, um, hmm. I identify as a Democrat and not Republican. <laughs> stunning. Also, I'm black and the child of two immigrants. Right, right, right. Stunning. Just a disclaimer there. <laughs> But <laughs> but when, when we um when we did the primary, even that was kind of nasty, yeah, right? Of course it was the Democratic sure. primary because it was like sort of this establishment stuff right. versus a Insurgent. grassroots populist yeah. insurgent type yeah. of guy, yeah. and that became within the Democratic tent a fist fight, yeah. a knife fight, even you know some would say where people were like, oh Bernie got his people not to vote for Hillary, blah 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 blah. And then, you know, when we got to the general and and I'm not going to lie, I, 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 I was one of those naive people who was just like, people not going to really fall for this, yeah. right? <laughs> like, nah, like, no, yeah. no, no, I, nah, this, no way. Yeah. And then it happened. And, you know, I, you know, I'm not going to lie. I remember being shocked. I remember throughout the whole campaign, though, leading up to November 8th. I still remember the date. Mm-hmm. It's how crazy it is. Um, leading up to that, I remember uh, just constantly on Twitter, like, are we really doing this? Right, like, the right. fake school, the yeah. this, the the grabber by the pee, and the this. I'm just like, yo, what? Yeah. I remember doing that on a day-to-day basis. And now I'm just like, after three and a half years of this, Dave, right. I'm I like, I'm done fighting. Yeah. Like, I just don't want to be, just don't be, be angry all the time. I found yeah, I've been angry. I feel it's like happening. I've been angry for three years. You know, like yeah. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I don't. It's not that you're. It's not that you're being naive or you. You understand what's going on in this country, but I just. It just doesn't feel healthy to me to always be enraged by something I just read. You know, and did you see this? Yeah. You didn't share it with 15 people immediately. And it's just like, no, that's what they want you to do is, you know, and I just don't want to fall for that. You know, so I'm going to try You know what it is it. too, Dave, I think, and, and, you know, we can move on to the basketball after this because I know we're boring our yeah. readers with important stuff, right. click, 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 click. balls <laughs> and, and hoops or whatever. But, you know, what I think happened in 2016 for me personally is that I took it personal, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, those millions, tens of millions of people who support our president mm-hmm. don't fuck with me yeah. personally. Yeah. And, you know, that was like just spiritually, it just it was a lot mm-hmm. to um to to sort of go through. But I'm over it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. 2020. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I understand the fight that's ahead of us. And, you know, and, and I understand what has to be done. And, and I sort of have a more clear vision of who we are and what we're about as a country collectively. Yeah. And like you said, I'm, I'm not going to be mad. I'm not going to be stressed out the way I was the last go around. No, I said, I'm going to try. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get, let's get to the hoops. And, and the story that we both were, were interested in is this ongoing train wreck in Cleveland. Now, um, now you've got John Beeline apologizing to his players because he used the word thugs in describing them. 
He said initially that he meant slugs, which is just ridiculous. That just doesn't make any sense. I mean, that's, that's just insane. Nobody has no basketball coach has ever called his team a bunch of slugs. That doesn't even make sense. What does that mean? That doesn't mean anything. Yeah, you know, that's never happened. Yeah, it's ridiculous. So just own it. You said it. Own it. You know. Uh, but it, the bigger question is, what is going on in Cleveland right now? I mean, look, is every team that rebuilds has some has some rough patches, but this seems like. Wow, like every day is something something new crazy going on there. But Dave, should we be surprised? Um the, the this is this has been Cleveland, whether it's Gordon Gund, yeah. um, whether it's the Gilbert era, whenever they haven't had one of the three best basketball <laughs> players ever. Right. Right. Whenever that has not been the case, they've been completely inept, yeah. um, incompetent, yeah. and a waste of everybody's time. Yeah. Like, this is what it has been. Right. Anytime they haven't had LeBron in the picture, which, and, you know, uh, this is one of my, uh, like, I, I just I just have this axe to grind against the Cleveland fans um, when when they got so pissed off about LeBron leaving the first time on a TV show and they were blah, 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 blah. I'm like, you know why you guys lack self-awareness is that <laughs> for seven years, the best basketball in the history of this franchise, the best memories you've ever had that you've ever participated in were due to one man. Yep. <laughs> Instead of being grateful and be like, wow, man. I can't believe that ride that you took us on, LeBron. We didn't have anything close to this before. Not the drama, not the excellence, not any of it, the fun, none of it. We didn't have anything close to that before you. But we're going to, you know, whatever, because you decided you wanted to do something else with your life. Okay, cool. But that just goes back to Cleveland. Like, they've been completely inept. And they've... They, they just sucked in every aspect as a franchise. They're essentially the Dolan Knicks without um, LeBron James. And, you know, and, and speaking of 2010, we don't need to talk about the runaway slave letter, you know, that the owner, that the current owner wrote when LeBron Comic had the audacity to pick a new team right, right. Um, while he was a free agent. You know, um, this, this just doesn't surprise me. And the idea that they would pluck a dude from the college ranks who's and Billy Donovan was a college coach but he wasn't a college coach for like 30 years right 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 like all right, right. B-Line has ever known yeah. is college and Bill, basketball and Billy Donovan played in the NBA I mean he didn't play for long right. but he did play in the right. NBA but so, yeah, yeah he has a sort of understanding yeah. of being a player right on yeah. yeah. um, B-Line comes from a culture where you tell your guys what to do, when to do it, how to do it. Yeah. Um. There's no repercussions to any of your actions, whether you fail or succeed. You just get, get to operate with impunity, right? Yeah. And he comes to a setting that's different than that. And wow, golly gee, whispers, <laughs> DA. He don't know what the hell he's doing. I, I I must admit, I'm a little surprised it's gone this badly this fast with Beeline because I thought, okay, he's 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 older, but you know, he's got experience in terms of, you know, high expectations and things like that. And and there's no expectations in Cleveland, so he'll be able to make his mistakes kind of in, in private. But, whoa, he has not. And, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's clear that, man, he is, you know, I, I remember when Jerry Tarkanian came to the NBA. And, and I thought, it, you know, I didn't know if it was going to work, but I thought it would be at least fun. 
and it wasn't fun at all. It was awful, <laughs> you know. And so, and so I'm getting that Jerry Tarkanian vibe with Beeline as coming in as a, as an older first time NBA head coach that really has no idea of what the league is like and what it and how you can navigate successfully in this league. And the way you have to come at players and especially, you know, young men of color, you've got to, right. you got to be able to talk to them. You know what I mean? And not in this kind of paternalistic, um, you know, like I'm, I'm your, I'm the gruff drill sergeant who's going to get you guys to, to do right. And that don't fly. Not, not with no credentials. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, right. and, and the, the funny thing is, David, is that like, uh, obviously I've never played in the NBA, but I played for white coaches for, uh, you know, for a decent amount of my basketball career. Right. Yeah, yeah. And not, I don't want to say dog whistling, but there was ways that they would be like, Oh, you don't want to go out there and play like a ragamuffin. Right. What? Or like Ra- um Is it a ragamuffin? What? Yeah, like oh, ragamuffin. Lord. Oh Lord. Why well, just say or, Sambo and get it over with? Or, Jesus. Or, or, or like we'll be in practice and the coach would be like, We don't need none of this cool guy act behind right. your back oh, for no reason. Oh, blah blah Lord. blah blah Like these are things. Or my my favorite, my personal favorite. Um, and rest in peace, Coach Tim Leary, my um, basketball coach in high school. Yeah. Um, he was describing the defense of St. Raymond's, right, which is a legendary all-boys yeah. school in the Bronx. Like, they're great. Their teams are usually always predominantly black and Hispanic. But he described St. Raymond's defense as, they'll steal your socks without untying your shoelaces. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Really? Wow. Oh my god! I still think about him saying that in practice because it was so ridiculous. Oh, but this is the kind of thing that happens in, in athletics. Like, you know, there's this idea that you don't like. You're not. This isn't street ball or blah 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 blah. Like, there's always this kind of sort of signaling, right? That you should be playing like the Hoosiers, essentially. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> that goes, by the way, Hoosiers, racist-ass movie, D.A. Well, come on. Terrible movie. Well, it was what it was. It was, you know, it was a... I, I get it. it. Look, let's put it this way. That movie wasn't for us. I understand that. That's okay. Yeah, Every movie okay, don't have to be for okay. us. It's okay. okay. I'm cool with it. Um, the, only, the only problem I had with Hoosiers is when the Pacers said, well, we're going to rock the Hoosiers jerseys. Oh and y'all, and y'all, don't rock, y'all don't rock the Christmas act. Addicts team jerseys from oh. from Oscar Robertson, who was from Indianapolis. You know what I'm don't, saying? Don't <laughs> so, get that won the state championship. Come on, man! Don't get me started you know I mean? on Indiana, <laughs> yeah. quote unquote basketball craze state of Indiana, right. who couldn't give be bothered to support the Pacers, but love the high schoolers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they yeah. love high school basketball. They love basketball, but don't like it in its most excellent form. It's Funny how that works. Yeah. NBA. You know, we should, I want to, we're going to have to get, get to our guest, Sam Vecini, here in a minute. But let's revisit this next week because I know there was an article that you took some exception with. And if we start yeah. talking about it now, it's going to be another 25 minutes and nobody is. Yes. <laughs> It's going to be a three-hour podcast, and I won't even listen to that. So let's um, let's let's make sure we we get back to this next week because I think and we will. And, and I think it's yeah. I'm sorry, Da, but I think what we want to express to the people is like, um, again, newsflash: me and David are black guys, and we happen to cover the NBA. <laughs> right. But the bottom line is, the media is predominantly white, yeah, right, and the league is predominantly black, right, and that 
has an effect on how things get covered, sure. how things get portrayed in the mass media. And I think we should definitely discuss some of those things because obviously you've got decades in the game yeah. and you you understand this like you know, it's in your bones. You have a feel for it, right? Yeah, um, no and question. So I think it'd be an interesting topic. Oh to talk well, you about. just you just know you just know when something's going a certain way, and you feel it, and it's it's and it hasn't really changed. Um, there's you know, there, and 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 part of what you're gonna what we're gonna talk about next week is this perception where it's the players who are being viewed as not wanting to work when it is coming from mostly white front offices and, and white executives who are talking about low management and analytics and all these things, but it's the black players that are viewed as not wanting to work hard, which is an interesting, interesting dynamic. But like I said, we'll talk about, we'll get into that next week. For right now, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to bring in our guest, Sam Vecini from The Athletic. What is it? Let's bring DA into the conversation here. Welcome to Who Comma is Jason on The Athletic Podcast Network. I turned it on and I heard Shaq with the barbs and like the most in his bracket, I was transported right back into it. I was like, oh, this is great. <laughs> I think I rap better than shit. With David, David Aldridge. Aldridge. Oh, he's totally playing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Come on. We're friends, aren't we? And then he yeah. cut their lungs out and killed everybody on TV. Michael was not your friend. So the Chicago and Detroit stuff, that was real. That was real. I mean, God forbid we don't have scholarship monies and can't pay for the charters for the water polo in Iowa. Welcome to Hoop 5, 4, we have ignition. Hello, bro. Welcome to another edition of Hoops and Jason. I'm David Aldridge. Happy New Year, everybody. We hope you are enjoying this on Apple Podcasts. If you are, leave us a review. Five stars being preferable. If you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. And joining us this week from The Athletic. Uh, I don't know if you're the Athletic NBA or the Athletic College Basketball. If you're both, if you're the Athletic Draft, I'm sure we're starting that vertical up any some min- in a minute, is our guy Sam Vecini. Sam, thank you for joining us, man. Oh, how we doing, guys? Yeah, I, I guess I'm on the NBA side now. So, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll go with I that. I know a little bit of everything. You do it all, man. It's all things all things hoop, all things draft. So you're, you're our guy when it comes to those things. And certainly we'll talk to you about the draft and how confused I am by everything that's going on so far this year. Uh, but wanted to start, you wrote a, a really good piece that's in The Athletic uh, right now about, uh, you know, your rookie scale rankings you had the 76ers come in at number eight and it wasn't so much to me about you know ranking the various rookies on their on their team some of whom are very intriguing but it was about it was about Ben Simmons you wrote a lot about him and I share I think your I don't know frustration is the word but it's just I guess I don't think and I I suspect you didn't think in, in your article that that Ben Simmons is being all that he can be and I share that with you I mean I frankly think he should be the focal point of that team rather uh, right now than Joel Embiid. Uh, but you know, tell, tell people who may not have read it yet uh, what your what your thesis was about uh, about the way Ben Simmons plays with Joel Embiid. Well, it's funny. Like I think that every 76ers game at this stage seems to be some sort of referendum on how the 76ers should play. Like it feels like the NBA and the 76ers this season particularly is like a college basketball team to me. Like every time Mm. Duke loses, it's like the biggest thing in the world, right? Because Duke rarely loses. With the 76ers though, and with an NBA team, you're going to lose at least 25 times a year, right? Like maybe the best teams lose 20 times a year, but like it's 
bizarre to me that we've entered this world with Ben where every single game, every single moment on the court, every single fourth quarter is this set of takes that come off where Ben Simmons, uh, I think, you know, I like Kevin O'Connor, but like Kevin O'Connor writes, Ben Simmons is a coward because he can't take threes. Like, what are we doing here, guys? (laughs) It's a long season. Like, I get that this 76ers team looks weird, but not every game has to be a referendum on where this team is going long term. And we are 35 games into a team that like totally reshaped the way it looks this offseason. They got rid of Jimmy Butler and brought in Josh Richardson and Al Horford. That's going to lead to a lot of, I guess, uncertainty in terms of role. Now, Mm -hmm. I personally think that this roster could fit better with a point guard. And I think that that's probably where you want to go DA. Like, I think that this roster needs a half-court point guard because I don't think of Ben Simmons as a point guard. I think of him as a guy that can lead the break, who's a great rebounder, who's probably, for my money, one of the two or three best transition players in the NBA this season via points and via assists. He's averaging 12.8 points in transition, which actually leads the league. So. I look at Ben and I think that I agree with you. He's somewhat miscast in his role and it leads to a circumstance where we get this referendum every single time the 76ers play to where it feels like a college season all over again. See, but Sam, I want to push back a little bit on your, um, you know, anti-KOC take. And I don't know that I share his sentiments exactly. Well, don't, don't call the dude a coward I'm, I'm, is my point, basically. Like, that's a, <laughs> okay, he's that's not wild. a coward. Okay, like, he's not like a deadbeat dad, right? And, like, skipping out on child support payments or something. Like, he's not that. But, like, you've been watching him since he was a teenager. And he used to shoot more back yeah. then. How do you explain what he's doing now? Yeah, I definitely think it is more his choice not to shoot than it is the 76ers choice like if you listen to brett brown press conferences right like i thought that was incredible by the way Brett brown's imploring this guy to shoot like he <laughs> right. is he's right. like please please, please take please at least one three game. <laughs> if you miss 80 shots in a row i don't think they would care if he missed 83 pointers no. in a row as long as they were no. corner threes i really don't right so right. i think that ben at some point is gonna have to get over this and is gonna have to shoot just because I don't think he's a terrible shooter. Like, I don't think he's a good shooter. He shoots like 60% from the line, but he has improved a little bit from the line to where I kind of trust that uh, he's going to keep getting better at it. I think the mechanics look better coming out of his hand now. So at some point he has to get past this mental block. And I think that even more than the shooting, what frustrates me, and it does lead back to the shooting because I don't think he necessarily feels comfortable at the foul line yet. Even yeah. more See, than I that. See, I think that's the bigger issue. Yeah. Yeah. He tends to pass out and not use that incredible ability to get downhill and leverage his strength and power around the basket to finish at right. the basket. He'll get leverage on a defender. He will get past the guy by a step and then still decide to pass out because he's worried about that guy recovering for a block or recovering Mm -hmm. for a foul. Like you watch Giannis, you watch LeBron. That's the biggest difference between a young LeBron, a young Giannis and a young Ben Simmons. Those guys attack the rack with authority and look like Ben Simmons isn't the longest guy. Like I think he has a plus two wingspan, something like that. Mm -hmm. And like Giannis is 
an alien, right? Like he has a plus nine wingspan. So it's going to be a lot Mm -hmm. easier for him to finish. But at the same token, I think that Ben could be much better about utilizing his strength and leveraging that strength around the basket and finishing and trying to finish more because, uh, you know what, like 15 points a game, four free throw attempts a game. That's not good enough from a guy that that's athletic, that is that athletic. So look, Ben's not a perfect player. I I just really like him. And I think that when you look at the totality of his game, he has legitimate superstar potential in a way that I think very few other players do around the league. See, Does he have superstar potential if he's not shooting threes or not getting to the free throw line though? Like at what point does he start doing stuff like that? Like when a lot of times when he gets to the basket, this is one of the most athletic guys as far as like leaping ability, you know, second leap, quick twitch, all of that stuff. He gets to the basket and he fades backwards, Yeah, which is obviously because he's afraid to shoot free throws, afraid to miss, whatever. Um, what are the indications that he's going to change that though? That's because I'm, I'm personally a a Simmons skeptic. I'm kind of over the dude. Um, and it's mainly because of the free throw stuff. It's like, it's, it, it, and not getting to the line. It's like, even if you're missing the free throws, putting the pressure on defense, you know, getting guys into foul trouble, that still helps your team. And his unwillingness to do that, because to me, I, and I don't want to psychoanalyze the thing, I think he's kind of vain. I think it looks uncool to brick free throws in front of a stadium full of people. And so, therefore, he's above it and doesn't want to do it. And I want to know why we should think he's ever going to change that mentality. Yeah, I think it's certainly a stylistic thing as well. Like, if you look at the math, if you look at whatever you want to call it, the analytics behind it, if he shoots 60% from the line like he does now, he's still averaging 1.2 points per possession in the half court, which is an immensely valuable proposition for the 76ers. Fantastic. So, yeah. I do agree with you. I think it's a personal decision. It's a stylistic decision. I don't know, Ben, so I'm not going to get into the is he vain factor or not. Like, I, th- if you made me guess, like, probably something there, right? But having said that, when you... Kendall Jenner, you know. Yeah, I mean, I tend... <laughs> I will... S- I'm kidding. That's not fair. <laughs> a lot of NBA players have dated those women. I mean, come yeah. on. It's not his fault. Well, that's another story. <laughs> but I look, I agree with both of you. I think the free throw yeah. thing is much more important than the, than the three-point thing. It, you know, you'd like for him to shoot more, but he can still dominate a game without doing it but the free throw problem is where they are where they come up short yeah. in the playoffs because your best players aren't getting to the free throw line <laughs> you know and that that's that's a that's a problem you know you have to the guys that have the ball in their hands at crunch time have got to be able to knock in free throws and this is where the 76ers continue to come up short to me and so Ben's got to get over that you know the embarrassment like um, vanity whatever it is He's got to get over it and start getting to the foul line nine or ten times a game and shooting. Just seventy percent would be fine. That get people will not foul you at seventy percent. They'll foul the hell out of you at sixty percent. Well, what I think yeah. the other thing is too with Ben is the 76ers, I think, are starting to realize that they probably need a long term answer at point guard. Because if you watch their yeah. games, you know, it's Josh Richardson closing games with the ball Josh in his hand. Josh Richardson is not the answer. Right. That's not. No, I know. I, I agree with you. Mm-mm. But I think yeah. that what they're figuring out is that, you know, especially you watch the Houston game last week. They realize that Ben is much better late in games in the fourth quarter where the game tightens up and it becomes a half court game. If you utilize him as a screener as opposed to as a guy that is handling the ball constantly. And I agree with you that Josh isn't the answer, but I think that 
honestly, there are a lot of answers that could be found out there on the trade market this trade deadline, even if they wanted to, let alone in the summer. So well, yeah. whenever yeah. I look at you know Ben's future, I've always thought of him more as a guy that was kind of like what we saw from peak Blake Griffin. Right. Uh, mm, a guy that I mm. thought would be best as a roller who can play in transition and be an elite level player in transition. But once you get him in the half court, yeah, he can handle the ball and yeah, he can make decisions. And, you know, hopefully he can learn to shoot like Blake did. Blake has really worked hard uh, at that part of his game and has clearly added to his game every offseason in a way that I think there are questions we'll say about whether or not yeah. Ben has, uh, yeah. but I've always thought that that is the best way to u- utilize him. And I like that the 76ers are going down this road and, you know, Blake Griffin finished third and finished fifth in two different MVP races, right? Like this is a guy right. that was a genuine yeah. superstar. And I think with Ben, it's more about utilization at this stage. And, you know, DA, you brought up the idea of, you know, you think that, as much as Joel, they should probably be building around Ben. And I go back and forth on that because I like a lot that Ben brings it every single night in a way mm-hmm. that Joel just kind of can't, right? Like I'm not exactly. saying that Joel doesn't try every night. I'm saying that mm-hmm. this guy's body doesn't allow him to go out right. and do this every night. So when I look at Ben, I look at a guy who's Given his, you know, playing his ass off every single night, plays defense at an exceedingly high level, uh, you know, really runs the floor in transition and tries to create those easy points. I look at Ben as a guy that, you know, I still want to build around because I believe in him to keep getting better, even if we haven't seen that growth in the offseason yet. Yeah. No, I agree. And that's where, that's why I think that they have to invert it. And while the you know all the PR might be on Joel's side, I just think the best player on that team is Ben Simmons, night in and night out. And you have to figure out ways to help him. You mentioned DJ Augustine, who would be a perfect, I think, type of guy. Uh, I like Jeff Teague. I think that's another type of guy on an expiring contract. No, it's not easy to make the, the numbers work. I know that. But yeah. um, there, I think there's guys out there, even Corey Joseph, who's not really doing much anything in Sacramento that I can see. So, I mean, there, there's <laughs> veterans out there that, that I think could step in who've been in playoff games before who could really help that team maximize its offensive capabilities. But to do that, if you're going to go get a point guard – does that not necessarily mean that a guy, whether it's whether it's a guy you just gave a, a max contract to in Tobias Harris or a guy that you just signed for a lot of money in Al Horford, one of them two cats is not going to touch the rock very much if you do that. Well, and that's why I brought up Chris Paul. Like, I think Chris Paul makes the 76ers the favorite to win the title if they so were to go out and acquire oh, Chris Paul. I'm just going, I'm just going to go get dude that's making $41 million next year. I'm just doing that. Huh? Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> absolutely have to get off of Tobias. Yeah. Or yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And that's why I brought up Chris, though, because while yeah. you have just signed Tobias and while you have just signed Al – Al Horford is a guy that has experience with Billy Donovan. You would think that given that he has been somewhat like under the radar vocal that he's not super happy with his role in this offense. Like, I think there's a way to finesse that to where if you tell Mm -hmm. Al, hey, we're moving you to Billy Donovan. We're moving you to an Oklahoma City team where you'll have a bigger role. You get to play with these young guards. You get to uh, play a role in hopefully developing them long term. 
I kind of think that's like sellable to Al and his well, agent as it, not being it, like a terrible move for him personally. It's 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 sort of sellable, but you have the same problem in OKC unless you're going to move Stephen Adams. It's the same problem. He's coming to a team where right. there's a guy that plays in the low post that does not really shoot a ton of threes. Um, and, and so how do they play together? Now, maybe Billy Donovan will play him in a high post more. I wouldn't really have a problem with that because I think Al's really good at the elbow. Right. Uh, but, you know, is that a role that Al wants to play at this stage of his career? Yeah, it's very. I think it's unclear, and like, like I said, like I'm just throwing shit at the wall, kind of. You could right? try Stephen Adams like, too. You know, you, you could do that too. Yeah, like I'm sure Atlanta would love to have Stephen Adams right now, and you could get right? more. For, you can get a lot for Stephen Adams if you were Oklahoma City. So that's that is that is a possibility. Yeah, right. Like if I was them, I would say like, you know what, Chris Paul, you know. Philadelphia wants you. Al Horford, it makes sense to bring him here. Al Horford, Matisse Thibel, I think you have to throw in Mike Scott for the salary mm-hmm. reasons, right? Mm-hmm. And a first round pick. That's yeah. like actually yeah. a really, um, that's a valuable deal for Oklahoma City, I think. Sure. Yeah, I think so. Sam, I I, I, I got to ask you, um, since we're on the Sixers topic and you seem to follow them very, very, very closely. Uh, why does nobody give two dams about what Tobias Harris one hundred ninety million ass does? <laughs> like I, I don't want to say why does deal? nobody care? I mean, it's not a great deal, but it's one that I think they had to make after deciding to trade for him. The bigger problem was the original trade that kind of throws you into a circumstance where you have to pay the guy, right? Right. It's right. you know, it's not a great not a great situation, I think, with Tobias, but it's not like Tobias has been bad this year. Like Tobias is averaging what, like twenty and six and three or something like that, and he's been much better defensively. He's not a max player. Like I don't think anyone would argue with you, Waz. Uh, he's certainly not a max player. <laughs> well, I'll tell you that I will agree. I'll say this: I, of course, he's not a max player, but I'll say this: I like Tobias Harris personally. He's a good kid. Yeah. He does good work in the community. He cares. I'd rather him get money than some asshole that I don't like. Right. You know, that's that's causing trouble <laughs> for my team. He's not going to complain sure. about shots and anything like that. Is he overpaid? Of course he's overpaid. We all know that. Right. <laughs> he knows that. But that's the deal. <laughs> you know, that's what, no. But it's not. That's not what I mean. I just feel like a lot of the scrutiny is on Ben Simmons, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and you know, of course, a lot is to be expected of the kid, right? Like he's him and Joel are so associated with the process right, and the right. indignity that that fan base I mean that organization put themselves through by fielding a G League for five, G League <laughs> team for 5 right. years. Um he's the face of that so I understand why people are closely monitoring his, you know, his progression, but I just feel like nobody ever says a peep about Tobias Harris like <laughs> well, I don't know that anybody gets paid that much. Even Mike Conley in Utah Right. Mm-hmm. He he's struggling to come out the season. I don't want to say Tobias is struggling, but like people are like, look, Utah's not getting it done. Mike Conley's like the highest paid player on the team. Like this matters. He was supposed to carry them over the hump. Blah, 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 blah. Like he's getting all of that. Tobias gets none of it. Well, with Tobias, too, I think that he is lucky insofar as there are just bigger fish to fry with Philadelphia right now. Like Philadelphia, <laughs> Philadelphia <laughs> needs to figure out can Ben Simmons and Joel play together. I don't think mm-hmm. we know that for sure. I'm a little bit higher on it than other people seem to be. Mm-hmm. Like I would just play Joel and Ben in three perimeter players around them. And they haven't ever done that. Right. And right. I'm not sure why they haven't ever done that, to be honest. But I think that that's the way you go about it. I think that it's Ben, Joel, Tobias, Josh Richardson, and a point guard. And I think that yeah, that team's really shoot. good. They can shoot. Yeah. You know, Joel, even though he shoots 30% or 32% from three, 
guys tend to guard him out there because they don't want him to get downhill with his ball handling ability. Like, I actually think that that team works. And I think that there is a situation where Tobias Harris can be a very, very valuable part of the 76ers title team, even if he is drastically overpaid. Right. Let let see. Oh, go, I go think ahead. I think the Heat. Uh, one last thing. I think the Heatles are kind of instructive here, in that Dwayne Wade was basically the Ben Simmons of this. Like basically refused to shoot a three ever. <laughs> um. And so what the Heat did when they would play him in LeBron and Bot and Bot turned himself into a quality shooter, yep. and they would only play them with two other shooters on the floor. Yep. Right. Like that's that's how they managed that. But at the same time. When it comes to playmaking and initiating offense, like we're talking about LeBron James doing that. Um, those like the the probably one of the greatest outside of Magic Johnson or Stockton or whatever playmakers in the history of the sport, um, was able to manage that, right? With the guy with one guy who just literally refused to shoot threes. But again, this guy was cutting off ball, he wasn't afraid to slash to the basket and get fouled, blah, 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 blah. I don't I just think Ben Simmons has to how, whether they decide they want to move on from Embiid or they want to move on from him, he's not going to reach his full potential until he has a situation like Giannis in, Mil- in Milwaukee where, you know, they do the five-out thing. It's yeah. like, all right, this guy's not a shooter. And even Giannis is like, fuck it, I'm shooting four threes a game. <laughs> right. This guy's not a shooter, but we're going to surround him with four of the shooters all the time. And Eric Bledsoe, who's, you know, whatever. But, like, you know, the theory is there. Incredible. I don't, Incredible. The Sixers have never done that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And, you know, with Ben, I think that the organization throughout the entirety of his rookie scale deal went out of its way to cater to what he wanted. And like the prime example of this, and I'll shout out Spike Eskin because he's the one that made me realize it yesterday. Uh, Hmm. There was a point where they were listing J.J. Redick as a forward on the team sheet in the starting hmm. lineup and having like Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons as the two guards, right? Like that sounds ridiculous on its surface. So the only <laughs> reason that you do that is to cater to Ben because Ben wants to be called a point guard. Right. Now that he's signed this oh deal, like he's locked into Philadelphia for five years now, right? There's nothing that he can really do to get out of this for at least three of these years, you would think. So it's time to stop Kevin catering. Love would disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Kevin's there's, just kidding. Nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, though, like I think that we're at the point with the 76ers, and I think you see it with the way that they're operating on the floor, with the fact that they're taking the ball out of his hands in the fourth quarter. They've come to terms with the idea that we got to do what's best for the team. And right now, what's best for the team is using him as a role man and letting him dominate that way. Like he can be the best role man in the NBA. I actually think it's an incredibly valuable role for him, but they need to stop catering to what he wants. And I do think that part of the issue is that Philadelphia for a little bit too long probably catered to what Ben wanted in regard to being called a point guard or having that role. It's time to win titles now. You can't really do that anymore. Well, let's transition from that to the draft because I do want to talk to you about that because this draft – and let me say this at the beginning. I know that there will be four or five great players that will come out of this draft because there's four yeah. or five great players that come out of every draft. We just yeah. we just don't have the luxury this year of knowing automatically who they may be. But having said that, the top of the draft especially seems to me to be as uncertain as it's as I can ever remember. 
when you talk about three guys who have been thought of as potential, you know, top five, top 10 picks who simply aren't playing this year and aren't playing Mm. anymore. You know, you got Wiseman who played three games, you know, you've got Cole Anthony who's been out, you know, you've got Hampton who's playing in New Zealand who, who's missed a lot of time. Um, And then you've got LaMelo Ball who's, who's playing really well, but who's playing, you know, in Australia, (laughs) you know? So, um, and again, to all of those, I'm not downing Australian basketball. It's a good league, but you know, y'all told me Dante Exum was going to dominate this league coming out of Australia. That hasn't happened. You know, you, you (laughs) you know, you, you told me, uh, what's my, my boy that was in Milwaukee that got drafted 10th by, uh, that got drafted by the bucks, um, that Um, played in Australia. Uh, well, Thon Maker is Australian, but he didn't Thon play Maker, in Australia. Yeah. yeah, no, he didn't. Okay, but you told me he was going to be the next thing. He's not, you know. So, um, so I can't, you know, I I'm not going to sit here and just crown Lamelo Ball because he's dominating for the Illawarra Hawks. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, where are we right now? You know, before, you know, four months before the lottery. So I'll say this about the draft in general, right? You mentioned the idea that there are going to be four or five guys that emerge from this draft, and I totally agree with you. There will be guys that are good from this draft. But to me, the strength in a draft class is not just you know there being good players. It's being able to identify who the good players are going to be. Because we draft so early now, because we draft 19-year-olds throughout the course of the first round now, let alone mm-hmm. throughout the course of the lottery or the top seven or the top ten like it used to be, it's exceedingly difficult to evaluate and figure out who these best guys are going to be. It's getting harder, I would say. Mm -hmm. And you really have to dive deep on them and figure it out. And in this class, particularly, I think that these players who are in this class, they all have like a tremendous amount of upside. Like Anthony Edwards, that dude is a power athlete at six foot five, who is on par, maybe not on par with Zion Williamson, but he's a freak show athlete. Like he is Mm -hmm. unbelievable in terms of the way that he can just transition power into explosiveness. Uh, And he can shoot like he can do a lot of different stuff, but like he can't really handle the ball that well. His feel for the game isn't really all that developed when Holy Spirit in high school, because now NBA teams really do have to go back and watch every single bit of high school tape they can find. When his team played in high school and they went and did a national schedule because Anthony was on the team, they went like three and 13 over the course of playing like good national teams in high school, they won their state title in like a week league or whatever. I think it was like the Catholic Mm -hmm. league in Georgia, but you know, that doesn't really mean anything. So I think he stands for what this draft is. It's definitely a development draft and it's definitely a situation where teams need to prioritize getting guys into their scheme that fit their scheme and fit what they develop well, because everyone has different coaches that excel at different things. And it's going to take a lot of self-reflection on the part of the teams that uh, some teams don't exhibit often, we will say. So getting to LaMelo, and the Australia aspect of it all. I will give LaMelo and RJ this. So when Dante came out, Dante Exum basically sat out that whole year pre-draft and hinged Mm -hmm. everything onto Hoop Summit. And he went and destroyed Hoop Summit, right? And that ends up with Utah taking him in the top five and 
you know, we, we've seen where that train has gone. Thawmaker didn't really play in Australia ever. You know, a lot of these younger guys, they didn't really play there. The NBL option has really only come available over the course of the last three years. And the NBL is, it's not the most athletic league. I will say that, but it is a better league than what he would have played in NCAA basketball. That may mm. not have like the highest end talent, but on a player by player basis, I do think it's a stronger league because he's playing against legitimate professionals. It is genuinely impressive that LaMelo Ball has put up, I think it's like 17 points, six assists, and six rebounds or something a game. The problem is that it's also a physical league in the way that the NBA is. And LaMelo has not really dealt with that physicality all that well, in my opinion. Uh, he has no. not really finished well at the basket, he has not shot the ball well at all and I think that's probably the biggest question mark teams have so when I look at LaMelo and I look at how Illawarra basically turned over their entire team to LaMelo ball this year uh, this is a situation where he is basically for instance like Seth Partnow just wrote about how teams are getting more heliocentric in the NBA and revolving around one star right Mm -hmm. like Houston has turned over the keys to James Harden Illawarra basically gave LaMelo the keys like Houston gives to James Harden and says, run with it. And he ran with it to an extent, but there's a reason Illawarra is the worst team in that league. And in part, (laughs) it is because LaMelo Ball, you know, kind of ran with it and they gave him the keys. Well, that's, I I keep coming back to that. Like, I just, you know, I, I, you know, I just winning at some point has to matter. You know, no matter what level you're on, you have to impact winning (laughs) <laughs> to be drafted high because the whole point of drafting somebody high is to help me win more, you know? So if a guy hasn't won anywhere he's been, you've mentioned the guys that are mentioned as the top two guys potentially in the draft that aren't winning on the teams they're already on. So I, I just, it just, it reminds me so much of skittish Vili a million years ago when everybody was, was hawking this guy's the next great player and he's going to be amazing. And I kept saying, he's not even starting for the team he's on. How is he going to come to the NBA and start? You know? Yeah. But you know how it's a copycat <laughs> league, Dave. Well, Dirk Nowitzki had sort of just had his breakout and everybody was like, we need the next Nowitzki. Let's find the first foreigner with a jump oh shot. We can what? <laughs> and the, that's like very comparable to Dragon Bender, right? Like Dragon Bender yeah. played 400 minutes for Maccabi Tel Aviv, I believe, right, before right. he got drafted. And everyone was like, yeah, he was great at youth level, competition level. He'll be great. And it just didn't work because he's not an athlete. Like he's actually a pretty right. poor athlete. And we knew that right. going into the draft. And we still were like, yeah, he'll be fine. That was a, <laughs> right. that was an immense fuck up. Like, what do you want me to right. say? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's another, and here, the other thing I wanted to ask you about, about this draft, particularly this year, cause you mentioned this is a development draft. There's very yeah. few of these guys that are going to be, that are camera ready. Let's put, let's say, right. but you've got teams at the top that can't afford to keep pushing off competing. You got Atlanta sure. that's been in that's been in the lottery for years. You got Cleveland that's been in the lottery for the last couple of years. Chicago's been in the lottery the last few years. Phoenix has been in the lottery every year. How many of these teams are going to be able with their fan base to say, when are we going to start winning again? You know, yeah. when, when are you going to be when are we going to have a good team? It's I think it's going to be very hard for teams, especially at the top, to say, Yeah, we're going to take this guy who may be good in three years. This draft is going to get a GM fired. Like, I I really (laughs) don't say that lightly, but I also strongly believe it because 
A, I think it's going to be really hard to the teams are going to try to sell their fan bases on these guys. And Mm -hmm. it's always very difficult to limit expectations for a number one overall pick. Cleveland tried damn hard with Anthony Bennett to like somewhat right. <laughs> limit expectations for the number one overall pick. And that didn't work. Like everyone was like, yeah. this dude sucks. Like, what do you want me to, what did we want to do about it? Um, yeah. And in the case of a team like, for instance, let's say the Hawks, the rookie scale has so drastically changed over the course of the last few years to where it is, it is an expensive screw up now if you yeah. miss on this draft pick. Like Atlanta. Isn't Markel Fultz making like $10 million this year? I think that his option did. next year is $10 million. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There you and go. with Atlanta or Golden State or New York, whoever gets this number one overall pick, I did the math on it yesterday. It's like four years, $47 million you have to hand over right. to the number one pick wow. this year. In oh, those last two years are team options. So like you get out of, you get a get out of jail free card, but even Anthony Bennett, I think had the third year team option picked up. Right. So like uh, it's oh, an, ex- not, did he? I can't remember. He had the third year. I don't think he had the fourth year picked up. Okay. It's an expensive yeah. screw up. If you end up making a call on someone like James Wiseman, and then you come to find James Wiseman is in, he isn't the guy. You know what I yeah. mean? He isn't someone who's ready to play. And like you said, a lot of these guys aren't going to be ready to play from the jump. So yeah. you are going to be getting negative value on a 10, 11, $12 million deal uh, pretty early. And you're just going to have to hope, you know, by year three that this guy's ready for the spotlight because, uh, yeah, a lot of these guys, I agree with you, they are, they are going to take some time. LaMelo Ball is going to take some time to revamp those shot mechanics and learn to shoot. Anthony Edwards is going to take time to learn how to uh, keep the ball low to his body and uh, be able to attack off the bounce in a way that his athleticism should allow him. Uh, you know, Tyrese Halliburton is going to take some time to revamp those shot mechanics so he can maybe be a pull-up shooter. Like they're, they're just, you can point to one thing with every guy that's going to be yeah. a catastrophic flaw in year one for him as an NBA rookie. Yeah. Uh, um, I wanted to ask you, and I'd be remiss if I didn't, Sam, as a New Yorker, uh, what's what's going on with Cole Anthony? What's what are you hearing about him? Um, where do you foresee his stock going uh, by by June's draft? I like Cole a lot, actually. Uh, I think he's before the injury and before he headed to North Carolina and played for a team that. Even Roy Williams is, he's not saying it's a disaster, <laughs> but if you, uh, if you watch the press conferences, he's literally saying, this is the Roy worst is team the, we've ever he's, had. He's, he's the quickest to jump off the boat with his team. <laughs> if he doesn't think they got it, it's just like, shit, y'all deal with this. Cause I'm done. I'm not, this isn't on me. This is not on me. No. I posted a photo of him last night. Like he's just sitting there. He's like, I, I don't know what to do, man. Like I'm, this is, this is the year. <laughs> <laughs> like it's amazing and mm-hmm. it's good that he realizes it but nonetheless uh when Cole Anthony was on this team at North Carolina this year players so Cole Anthony shot 35% from 3 if you remove his 35% from 3 his teammates were shooting 24% from 3 <laughs> <laughs> so every time Cole Anthony drove to the basket and you can like go back and watch tape he was legit getting double and triple teamed every single time because <laughs> other teams were just like 
we're going to let these other dudes shoot and try and hurt us because we don't think they can, but we know that's this fun. guy can hurt us. So we're yeah, just going to collapse right. in on him every time. And that's why you see that the assist to turnover ratio is negative. And that's why you see the fact that his finishing ability was a problem this year, right? Uh, this is a guy where I've gone to probably four or five different camps where Cole Anthony has been there. And as long as he has really good teammates around him, he actually is a very unselfish player. He's willing to make the passes. He's willing to, uh, he has all of the passes too. Like he can throw left-handed pocket passes. He can throw left-handed cross corner kickouts that, you know, have become in vogue in the NBA recently. Um, I think he can shoot it. Like I actually believe in him being a long-term shooter at the next level. So when I look at Cole, I'm really not as concerned as some evaluators seem to be, but there there is a worry that, you know, in high school, he was known as something of a selfish player because, you know, he wasn't playing around great guys. So he would go out and really uh, try and get his own offense. And there is a concern that, uh, you know, he's a little bit smaller. And what do you do with him defensively? I think he actually tries hard defensively, but nonetheless, he's like 6'2 and has short arms. So that's going to be an issue. But you know what? At the end of the day, I think this guy is a great creator with the ball in his hand. I think he can really handle the basketball. I think that uh, he can shoot it in pull-up scenarios, and I've seen him be unselfish before. So that's a guy that I'm pretty comfortable betting on, especially given the pedigree and given the fact that you know if you ever talk to him, he's a really intelligent kid. Like he's really, yeah. really sharp. Well, that uh, doesn't surprise me, given his given his pedigree. His dad's pretty smart too. So right, and like doesn't I- mind telling you, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I said that with love, Greg. I said that with love. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, though? I'll say this, too, about Cole. Like, there are some NBA scouts that have told me that about Cole, too, that he's yeah, got in yeah. a similar way. Like, I, I personally haven't experienced that. I think I've talked to Cole, like, twice in both times. Yeah. It was, like, a great experience, and I thought he was really, really sharp, and he came off as someone that really studied the game and, like, really knows yeah. the game in a way that uh, – some kids that are 18, 19 years old don't. So that yeah. he came off as very impressive to me whenever I talked to him. Yeah. Well, Sam, man, this has been great. I really appreciate your insights on, on all of these things. And we'll be coming back to you as we get a little bit more clarity on the, uh, on the draft and as we get closer to the lottery and, and we know which teams are going to be there. We're going to be tapping you many times uh, from here on out. But thank you for joining us, man. Give me a call anytime, guys. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks very much, Sam Vecini, everybody. He does a great job, but uh, Waz, I want to talk real quick about your style rankings. And and here's the thing. I read the comments, man. How do you deal with these people, man? <laughs> How? How do you not come back blasting every, all of them? It, 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 it is what it is. Like, everybody has their own opinions. Oh and what's, what's, most, what's most important is that the people understand that. This is subjected. This yeah. is my per. These are my personal. I tastes. don't know why people don't this get is that. My exactly. <laughs> and 
you know, I wanted to do, I wanted to start the year with a not top 10. Yeah, right, right. To address, <laughs> to address right. everybody's, everybody's favorites and, and, and sort of un, like give a detailed description of this is why these people don't make Wozni Lambre's list. <laughs> And I wanted to get snarky and did slightly disrespectful and defiant, but I was vetoed up top by by my editor. He was like, "Let's just keep doing what we're doing, <laughs> praising the people who we like," got you. and we kept it pushing. So I I don't I don't get too caught up in that. Oh my God. Like people gonna feel how they want to feel. I used to always say when I would do my I would do my MVP vote every year. You know my uh, MVP all all league things. Of course. And I used to always say. This only has to make sense to me, okay? It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. have to make sense to you. You know what I'm saying? I was given the power. Yeah. Exactly. Me by the when athletic. you get an MVP vote, you can vote for whoever you want to vote for. Exactly. You know what I mean? So let's go through it real quick. Uh, your man PJ up at the top again, um, and tell us what what you what you liked about PJ this week. Well, like, you know, it was the Will Smith personal gifted sneakers, which I think is like something cool, (laughs) something cool that Jordan Brand came up with. Like, literally, like he got all 100 pairs and it was up to him and obviously the gigantic team that he has around him to seed people with these sneakers. But, you know, the reason why I highlighted uh, PJ and how he walks into the tunnel with the sneakers that he's going to be wearing that night is because... People have lit like NBA players. Like if you go on Instagram, go on League Fix, mm-hmm. go on Upscale Hype, go on whatever you want to go on. There's a bunch of NBA players now doing the exact same right. thing, right? And I think the point of the point of um the the style ranking is just to illustrate like, look, like these guys care about, it. and I've said this already. These guys care about it, and so I think it's something we should be paying attention to. But it shows you like it's not just me, and it's not just the people who enjoy the style ranking who are obsessing over this yeah. NBA players also obsess over what PJ Tucker's doing on a week to week basis. And so that's why I wanted to give it up to him and, um, you know, uh, highlight him and and put him number one. And like I said, like to me, he's the most interesting person in the league in that respect. Um, And I don't think it's really particularly close um, as far as most fun people. And, and, and that's why I did that. Now real quick, I gotta, I gotta push back on you a little bit. Now you put, you put Chris Paul second, which I ain't got no problem with, but, but you talking about Chris Paul representing the new designers and then talk about something that Russell designed, Russell Westbrook designed? Come on, what? Look, Come on, Russell, what? Listen, hold on, hold on, hold on. He ain't on, no on, struggling designer. Come on, man. In my defense, in my defense, again, I want to say, and I tried to illustrate this, Westbrook is not the first celeb to have right? the okay, idea of okay. starting a clothing I got line. you. They always do it, and they always. Stink. It's like Kobe. It's they like it's like Kobe's fail. rap album. Is that what you say? <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. It's like you know, Stephen Jackson's a rapper, right. but let's face it, he's not as good as Dame Lillard. Right, 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 right. You know, it is what it is. You know, but they always fail. Like, and I just thought it was interesting that Russ's thing has actually been successful. Like okay. his first, like the very first run that he did sold out in like a day. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and of course, you know, it's gimmicks of limited releases, whatever. But like, even still, like, that's impressive that he's been able to build a clothing brand, um, uh, you know, aside from what he's doing with Jordan brand and, and this, this, that and the third. So that's why I wanted to highlight okay. it. And again, like, I love the spirit of 
uh, you know, Westbrook has a brand and Chris Paul is supporting right, right. it, right? And I got that part. It's good that, you know, rivals, you know, encore. I'm a, yeah, yeah, I'm a rep my guy. Yeah. But and, up and, and coming. And Dave, you know how, how petty NBA players are. He ain't living in a you flat in Queens. Was. <laughs> yeah, he's, yes, he's not a star. You know what I'm saying? You're right he about got that. A, he ain't cuddled up next to his radiator at night. Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> But anyway, all in, all in love, man. And look, man, I'm glad. Uh, appreciate the list as always. Check it out. The style rankings every week on The Athletic NBA by my man Wazlan Bray. And thank you all for tuning in this week. And uh, once again, if you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, you want to leave a review, leave a nice one. We appreciate the love. See you next week. All right. All right. That was great.